Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. On today's episode, we wrap up our third and final conversation with a traditional Sunday morning pastor. We use the term traditional loosely because by all intents and purposes, none of the pastors we have interviewed are completely and totally traditional in the way they do ministry. Still, our concern is with the one-size-fits-all model of Sunday morning preaching-centric ministry. So our goal in these conversations was to find pastors who had been spending much of their career doing just that, preaching on Sunday mornings. Our guest today has been lead pastor for nearly 15 years in a church in Kirkland, Washington. His ministry career has spanned the entire West Coast, and he has been in ministry for nearly 35 years. The last two decades or so have been here in the Pacific Northwest. This, in our minds, makes him the perfect conversation partner, as so much of what we do is informed by where we serve. So without further ado, join us for today's episode where we interview Pastor Mike Ford on the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. What I noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful, like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. Today, we talked to Pastor Mike Ford. I first heard about him when I was reaching out for help, figuring out a creative solution to a problem I was facing. I was informed that he is an outside-of-the-box thinker, willing to take on tough problems with creative solutions. From personal experience, and after getting to know him better, I can tell you that this is in fact an accurate description of his ministry approach. This can be seen in how he leads his church, in his relationships with others, in the way he manages his staff, and how he lives his life. I once heard him share a story about how he would regularly go to this wine bar in his neighborhood. This immediately caught my attention, because Nazarene rules dictate that pastors are not allowed to drink alcohol. So Pastor Mike had officially piqued my interest. He was leading a staff meeting, and the discussion was revolving discipleship in the Great Commission. 
The conversation revolved around what it looked like to do that in the 21st century. So Pastor Mike spoke up and shared from his own personal experience. Long story short, because of Mike's faithful service to those that he lives near, to his friends in his neighborhood, to those he spends time with at a wine bar, they got to know that he was in fact a pastor who couldn't drink. So, naturally, because they knew how much Pastor Mike cared about them, they wanted to show him how much they appreciated his presence. And while I can't prove this, it may be a safe bet to say that the wine bar that Pastor Mike attends is now the only one that has root beer on tap, all because Pastor Mike chose to invest in relationships with those around him. So you can imagine why I chose to spend time with him, talking to him about what subversive presence was about, what guerrilla ministry looked like, and what his thoughts were. Here is our conversation. So when you say tell me about yourself, do I get in my age and stuff like that? Kind of a little bit of that. Everything. So not necessarily the Nazarene stuff, just like just more of the personal Let's stuff. Let's do personal stuff, then I'll get into ministry. So I can talk about cars and Absolutely. things, right? You know, a little bit of the... Absolutely. Okay. So I, I, I will just, I mean, yeah. let's get into it. Mike Ford, thank you for sitting down with me. I need to know about Mike Ford. <laughs> you want to know about me? <laughs> just tell me about yourself. Oh, I mean, gosh. Where do I start? Tell me about who you are as a person. But, yeah, all of the things Absolutely. would be great. Yeah. So, Mike Ford, that's me. Uh, I am uh, 55 years old. I live here in Kirkland, Washington. I've been here for 14 and a half years. Uh, grew up, though. Uh, my Most of my years were spent in California. Um, I uh, did not grow up in the church. That could be something of, of note nice. in all of this. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have a lot of, uh, of, I would say, you know, growing up church baggage because it was not a part of my experience. Uh, I, I thought I was going to be an engineer. I was a, um, graduated from high school, uh, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to be an engineer, but, uh, but the Lord kind of f- directed my life into uh, a life of ministry in those times. And so it's kind of we find ourselves here today. I have uh, a lovely wife. We are actually celebrating our 18th anniversary um, in a couple of days as we speak from this podcast today. And so excited about that. I have two children, a 14-year-old daughter who's a freshman in high school. And that has kind of flipped our world a little bit upside <laughs> down. Uh, and we have fresh a prin- the Fresh Prince of Bel Air for a minute, wasn't it? Oh yes, <laughs> and we have a nine-year-old son as well that uh, they both bring a lot of joy to our life. And uh, but we all know what parenthood's about. It's not always the easiest, but oh, we love it. It's the I always joke with folks that don't have kids yet. I'm like, it's the best worst thing you'll ever do. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> the best worst thing. So I know I know some person. I mean. You and I have been on some adventures. I was going to tell a story about how I first heard about you, hearing about you, but then with the funny oh. segue is we drove through the area where I knew you from. So I have, I have my initial ministry roots are in Central California with my former youth pastor. My former youth pastor 
knew you as a youth pastor on the district he grew up in, and this is just like the smallness <laughs> of the Nazarene world, right? Yes. But we were on this adventure together. We were going and wrangling cars that we we're helping someone restore this auto collection. So I know you're a big fan of automotive stuff, which kind of connects with your maybe your engineering possibilities. Yeah, in the past. you know, I grew up. My dad was had a service station, so I was always working around the garage. We were building things. So anything with wheels, you know, motorcycles, dirt bikes. Back when I was a kid, I we built a a, a 400 cc. Uh, back back when again they used to have those ATCs, you know, little Honda Honda ATCs, yeah. you know. Well, we we took a, a Yamaha RD four hundred uh, and converted it into a basically a three wheel drag bike, and you know, uh, for the dirt, and it was it was pretty. So I've, yeah, and cars and things. I always grew up around drag racing and auto automotive racing and stuff. So we we've got I know we've got this car thing that we really connect with, and I, I love cars and racing. I'm also see how you know I, I was a jock guy too, so you know I'm, I I kind of connect with most sports, uh, but you know especially Seahawks this year, go Hawks, right? Well, I. I'm not so sure I can say that. They just I'm, beat your Cardinals I know, they last did. week. <laughs> I grew up Arizona boy. I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, which is something that I often have to grieve over, but that's fine. Um, I, I mean, if you did, if I don't know how much I've actually talked about it on this podcast, if at all, but I mean, m- wrenching on vehicles is a big deal to me, and I can go off on a tangent. So I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna say we, we can we can change this whole <laughs> podcast into from the Gorilla, you know, Pastors podcast to like we can turn it into an automotive wrenching podcast very, very quickly. Very quickly, it'd be dangerous. So I let's focus on ministry stuff because I I don't know if it was your first ministry gig, but give me some give me some stats. Uh, how long just total have you been in ministry? Oh gosh. You know, I'm, I've, it's been a while now. So I, I would I would officially talk about. Let me just kind of go through this a little bit. So when I went off to Cal Poly, um, I got involved with a group of people that uh, started Young Life, a Young Life club in San Luis Obispo. There's no Young Life in San Luis Obispo. So my my first like step into you know anything kind of ministry wise would have been. You know, working with a with a group of of students from Cal Poly and a couple of young adults that that started Young Life, and that would have been around 1987. Were you born yet? That, that was actually the year I was born. Okay, so how old are you? I'm 35. Uh, then I guess there's my there's your answer. I've yeah. been in ministry in some way, shape, or form for 35 years. Wow. Again, started as as you know doing Young Life, but from Young Life. Um, I was, I got connected with, uh, the San Luis Obispo Nazarene church. Um, Dave Curtis was the youth pastor there and he heard about me, got connected with me through just San Luis Obispo ministry kind of circles. And I was doing, uh, some stuff with InterVarsity Christian fellowship at Cal Poly as well. Uh, Dave reached out to me and we started a relationship, a friendship. And, uh, and so he, he pulled me, he pulled me in to Nazarendom, uh, and in a time, you know, where I, again, since I, like I said, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I, I didn't know much about it, but I, I really connected well with Dave. Dave ended up being, you know, one of the, the great mentors in my life. Um, and still is today as, as, as we're connected and, and, and brought me into the, the ministry there and where I did 
young college young adult ministries and uh, middle junior high school ministries as well. It's also where some of you might heard this name. Um, I'm the the one thing that I can kind of claim that I think I did well in in my whole you know ministry career was was I recruited Mike Kip. Oh, to be okay. a part of my junior high, uh, you know, ministry team, and so many of you know Mike Kip from uh, Northwest Nazarene University, uh, professor over there, and so so I I kind of get some of those stories. He shares some stories about the early years where where I actually recruited him to be in youth ministry. So you started off in the Nazarene world in youth ministry officially then? Officially, yes. So I was at San Luis Obispo. I was I, I interned for Dave Curtis for like it seems like seven years. I don't know if it was that long, but it was he he would probably say seven years. It was probably actually five years. But um and then from there, so when I graduated uh from college there, I then became a youth pastor, full time youth pastor, uh at uh, Visalia. So there's our Central California, Visalia, Nazarene, uh, First Church of Nazarene in Vice, uh, Visalia, California, in between Bakersfield and Fresno, Central California District. And uh, so I, I was a youth pastor there for 12 years. Then um, the Lord brought me up to the great state of Washington. Uh, I came on staff of, uh, at Gold Creek Community Church um, and was there for about four and a half years before I then became uh, the Lord led me to uh Kirkland it was Kirkland Church of the Nazarene uh now Life Community Church of the Nazarene and uh I've been here now for 14 and a half years and that was my step into what everybody calls the lead pastor <laughs> senior pastor role uh so yeah, so there's there's the, the pinnacle, right? There's, that's the, the show. There's there is my rise, <laughs> the rise to the the top, to the top. Well, a couple things, a couple observations. You you and the other two pastors that we've interviewed, David Rhodes and um, up in Marysville, Craig. we uh, interviewed Craig Laughlin, and I can't remember how long they both. I know both of them have been there for a while, and I'm blanking now. I just interviewed Dave, and I'm pretty sure. He's almost been a Puyallup for like two decades. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least. And I'm not sure if... Craig, I think Craig is over a decade, but I cannot remember now. He's around the same time. I, I want to say you. he's about 14 okay. years plus or minus as well, because I think we came around the same time. Which is really interesting, because when I started off in ministry, the average lifespan of a pastor was like three years, sure. which was not great. And that was around 2008, 9, 10, when those stats were coming out. And The, the, the pastor I followed was there three and a half years. Three years, yeah. So... That was kind of a common stat line for a while. And part of the whole reason I wanted to talk to the three of you was you've been around for for more than the average, possibly. Even now, the average now at this time. I don't know what the latest stat is, but I believe that if you've been in the same spot for more than a decade, pushing a decade and a half, you have some some standing with that church that is maybe a little bit more abnormal in our in our circles in Nazarene, maybe in other denominations as well. I know there's plenty of churches that are founded by a pastor and they're there for a long time, and they might they may be more the exception than sure. than the norm. But part of the the conversation I want to have with all three of you was sort of a hey, we're rabble rousers. Is this really is this really something that's a threat? Um, but that's a really oversimplification of the conversation because truly, what I want to do with this conversation today, but also this podcast in general, is state the obvious. That if you're doing ministry in Western Washington, or soon enough, most places in the United States, you're going to have to maybe get outside the box that you were comfortable in. 
that maybe there's going to be some creativity that enters into the fold. So, I, and you think? Yeah, you th- right? Like to state the obvious, uh, Pastor Craig, Pastor Dave, and I know you because I, I actually we're gonna have to because we know you. Yeah, I know you. you yeah, know we're, me. yeah, I know we're gonna you. have to unpack that in just a second. Okay, but sure. but to to set the context for the conversation, it's just an an obvious like well of course. Right, what works maybe in the Bible Belt, right? What works in in the Midwest, in some places in our country, won't work over here. And that's not like that's not to devalue either. That's just to to have a conversation about context to realize, hey, yeah, you can you can make some statements, especially it's election season right now. People are like, oh, we're suddenly godless, or oh, God got the ticket. Depends on who you talk to, right? Like, we can value things in a lot of different ways, but the reality is gospel without without any changes to our theology how we practice how we do church how we gather probably necessarily looks a little bit different here than it does in the rest of the country being here for a while i mean you came from central cal and i will say for you i don't want you to get in trouble central cal is not like the rest of california so there's there's certain things you can do in central cal that you wouldn't necessarily do on the coast and maybe there's more of the bible belt feel in some parts of central california but coming from these places where it's very traditional ministry to the pacific northwest was that was that an adjustment absolutely absolutely yeah i mean the central valley of california would uh everybody i mean it was more or less founded by people that came from the Midwest, and so it, it's very much a it's it's very much a you know Bible Beltish uh, area of of California. So you know very very conservative and and in conservative values, uh, but as as well as you know uh, church and in how people uh, view uh, view the church as well. So it, it was you know it's still very very positive. You come up to the Northwest, and and church is not viewed. Positively, the Christian church is not viewed in a very positive way. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot going on there to unpack when you think about you know what does what does church look like? Uh, how do we approach the even the idea or our theology of our ecclesi, ecclesiology um, of of what it should look like um, and and what it should be? Uh, so yeah, I think it comes down to mission. Mission should inform and shape, and that's another uh, one. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. G- can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Well, let me take it even. St- let me t- let me take it one step even further. So, our, our 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 missiology forms our ecclesiology, but but what forms our missiology is our Christology. Yes, agreed. So 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 what we believe and know of Jesus shapes how we interact with those around shapes us. Shapes our mission. Yeah. Which then should shape what how 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 church should be. Mm-hmm. Still, I find it. I, I guess I was surprised. I had my own cultural moment coming from Arizona to Washington, and Arizona's maybe going to be more Bible belty with a lot of Wild West mixed in. Uh, to here, I kind of expected a different a different ecclesiology, I suppose. Um, but there was still sort of like, no, we, this is how we do church, even if none of our neighbors care about it. And there's still that interesting tension of, of almost like, well, this is the only and right way to do it. And I think that's the, that's the core. That's the core of what is perceivably a critique from me and my co-hosts, is that this is the only way. Really what that says to me is this is the only way I know how. 
So how, how do you shift? Because you've been doing it for a long time. Uh, how do you shift from a, this is the only way to maybe naming to some of your people? Actually, maybe it's not the only way. This is just the only way we've known how. And, and how do we start to shift the missiological focus uh, as a result of that? I mean, this is a really loaded question. So. Well, how do we, how do we c- capture the heart of Jesus and, and, and then begin to interpret and work that out in our, in our lives? Um, Gosh, because because again, you 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 bring up this idea. This is how we've always done it, um, and I guess what's different about about me is again coming from that place that didn't grow up in the church, mm-hmm. uh, and and came I, I came to 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 step into it and to to learn to love and and and, and love the church um, and and value the church uh, even in, even in its you know, traditional form. Um, but my, my first experience in ministry coming again, a little bit more from a, from a young life side is we didn't have a building. Mm-hmm. We, we would, you know, the, the, the talk is, you know, we, we reach kids where they were at, you know, we did things in homes or, you know, met, met them, downtown at the you know at the ice cream store uh, whatever it may be so i my i've always viewed uh ministry and and the church very much as as something that is has gone beyond a a building and a, and a gathering and kind of what happens on a sunday morning per se and so i i've i've always been able to, I, again maybe that's Partly because maybe that's the DNA that I have within me, because that's how ministry was birthed in me mm-hmm. uh, through someone meeting me on a campus. You know, uh, you know, my 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 story of coming to Christ comes through a, a story of young life and a leader who who reached out to me and and connected with me relationally, and then you know shared with me the gospel and and you know going to someone's home and singing funny songs, but then hearing hearing God's word and hearing its message uh, and, and building relationships and coming to Christ that way. So it's, it's been, you know, when I, when I came to the Northwest here, um, my view of, of, of connection was already pretty missional. Mm -hmm. And, and I think very, you know, I, I saw it dualistically. The, the very first event <laughs> was uh, uh, that I that was going on when I when I came to the church, uh, uh, the Kirkland Church. Um, they they were fantastic, wonderful, wonderful people, and uh, they uh, they were going to put on this this children's event out in our parking lot, and I th- thought they thought it out really well. Um, and you know it's kind of a car theme, and so they're going to have a little car show going on, right? You so, know, so you're a big fan of that, already. Yeah, I'm like going right on, and and but the but they they wanted to name it, uh, they named it NASCAR instead, of, right? And and I and I just thought I'm like branding it, branding it with you know with that, which again, if you, 
I guess that's okay. But again, my, my mindset is just so much different as, as I know that, that they wanted to reach out to the community and a community that doesn't necessarily know what Naz or Nazarene necessarily was, but we're trying to reach these families from outside to yeah. come to a car show and have some fun with some kids and do these activities. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't call it NASCAR. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it took, you know, it took some time, but that was, you know, my first, my first thought was like, no, we can't call it NASCAR <laughs> because, because that's not going to, that's going to, not going to connect. And, and, but that's, as, but as that's how we've been brought up. I mean, that's how the church was brought up. And if you're brought up in the church and you, that's how it was done. That's what we did. And we're going to, we're going to take something, a culture, we're going to, you know, try to, you know, recreate it but we're going to brand it Naz. you know Naz. Yeah. and and i you know if if I, that that would might work in some parts of the country yeah but but not it's not going to work it's not going to work here there was this interesting study recently that talked about how anti-institutional the northwest is in general it's not just the church just across the board absolutely which yeah. is which is part of this issue right you could say you know you could have a meaningful conversation dialogue with some folks but then you say hey let's do this every week I'm like, oh i no i can't commit to that like it just has to be organic and it just has to happen right like the, there are just so many cultural things that are just realities that you can't change and in some ways you have to accept it but then there lies that tension because i i think institutionally more often than not the pastor is going to say my experience becoming a christian or becoming sanctified was at the altar in, in a church. Mike's, that's great. It was like someone in Young Life, which again, there's not a value there that should be attributed to one being better than the other. The ultimate goal is the same, right? The mission is the same. It's just where it takes place or how it took place is maybe slightly different. But I think with that begets even more like, well, it, because I had that experience in the church, we need to make sure to never get rid of the opportunities for that to happen in the future, yada, yada, yada. Well, in my, you know, you, you bring something that just shoots a uh, memory in my head is, is, you know, we're going, I'm going through, you know, ordination interviews, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, not growing up in a church, not growing up in a, you know, even my first church experiences were not Nazarene churches until later on when I got connected. And uh, at that time, you know, I'm, I'm needing to share what was your sanctifying moment. And again, I, I didn't have the context of being able to come up on a Sunday morning altar call when, you know, the pastor's saying, you know, you know, surrender your life in this moment and have this sanctifying moment. And, and I, and I believe I had a sanctifying moment and I, you know, I, I shared those things, but it, but it was not what it looked like for most everyone, else. most everyone else in our, in our tribe. Which is interesting. So I'm going to ask you a question, but I, I want to preface it with, you have skin in the game. Uh, you're in district leadership of some sort. You help do all sorts of stuff. What I can't remember your title. Like zone or missional zone leader. Yeah, I, all three of the pastors I've picked have circumstantially been in district leadership. So I'm like, I'm really poking the bear with some of these questions. Apparently, my question though is whether it's it's intentional or whether it's you know just this is how it was because culturally speaking institutional churches were the norm not not even 50 years ago really right like they were that was what was going on even in seattle right it would have been much more of a, a normal thing even 50 years ago probably uh, with that and you named it a little bit with uh 
with the NASCAR thing as well and just you're coming up into it. Uh, do you feel like though, even though you've said you came to Washington and didn't have the same emphasis on everything has to happen in a building two hours on a Sunday or however you said that, that's how I say that. Do you feel that there's still an institutional emphasis with most of what we do that does by default emphasize that? Absolutely. And, and, and even though, you know, I've had all this great talk about like, you know, I've kind of come a little bit as an outsider in, and so I can have some of these, uh, these ideas still a lot of what, uh, what I am tied, what I've, what I've tied myself to, even in, in my worth as a pastor still gets connected to how did Sunday morning go? Mm-hmm. How many people were there? What was, you know, was the, how was the reception of the message? Was worship, was worship good? I'm doing the quote thing, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you can't see that, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I, I, I still get a lot of myself gets tied uh, and wrapped up into that, even though I am s- so much believe that there is so much more than, than just that. I've, I've been conditioned to that. Um, like many of us are, are conditioned to it already. Yeah, I, I think from a very early age, even even if you're not going into ministry, that's you know just conditioned if you're a church goer, attender, right? Like yeah. Sunday morning is church, even though if you just study our own scriptures or unpack what those words mean, the, the building is nothing. It's the people gathering in it, right? Like, well, in, in right, right outside the door to the sanctuary, uh, again, my first... Uh, San Luis Obispo Nazarene Church, the first Nazarene church I ever, you know, attended and went to, um, and then subsequent ones after that, uh, right out, right, usually right outside the door of the sanctuary, right? What, what did we see? There would be this little uh, number, numbers, would, right? It's yeah. like, you know, previous Sunday attendance and, you know, tithe, yeah. and they'd have the year, right? I mean, it's where you're, you're even right, you're not, yeah. not even a pastor. Yeah. You, you walk in, the, I mean, you walk into the church, and one of the first things you would see is, you know, where were you last week? You know, so where are you going to be this week? And oh, tides up, down, or whatnot. Those, the, the worst version of that I ever saw, and I think it's current. It's some. It's it's maybe a Bible Belt church, because um, it was on some sort of website that I probably shouldn't visit. That's like the worst examples of what happens in evangelicalism or something like that. They put who didn't tithe the last week on oh, a wow. like wall of shame. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And it was, I, I can't remember what it's called. I think it, I think it's this terrible. I'm not recommending it. So I'm not even going to say the name of it. Um, but it, it's just essentially like for those that have been hurt by it, they have their little vindictive outlet and I get sucked into it on social media and all that sort of a thing. But the, the reason I even bring up the sort of, uh, is there an institutional emphasis is because that's, that's what we're actually perceivably critical of, right? Like me and my co-hosts, we don't love, I mean, we don't want to burn it down. We don't want to say there should no longer be church buildings with Sunday morning gatherings. Our emphasis, our, our focus, our concern is that that should not be the only thing in both as a lay person, as an attender, but also as a pastor, because all three of us in varying ways have gotten to this point in our ministries where we realized I don't think this is our gifts and graces to do this type of thing. Or or it got even more, you know, nuanced. And I'm not sure this is the most effective discipleship model for people, period, or at least for all people, right? Like is is a sermon on Sunday morning going to disciple everybody effectively? Like these kind of existential questions. However, 
We are also aware that sometimes just even asking those questions or airing those perceivable grievances is considered threatening to those that are doing it. So like to to the past, like you, part of why I even want to sit down is to say, hey, we actually love... What is, what is threatening? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. If you're threatened by the idea of doing creative ministry or, or even viewing the, the church being outside the walls of... A, you know of of our you know buildings and temples that we've built in our cities you know uh i i don't know why that's threatening i i i i obviously obviously you sense a th a threat because this is part of why we're doing this right now and you've created this platform to be able to talk about it but it's we've got to do something beyond beyond you know, the expectation of what church is and if it's of Sunday morning and, and the hour or two that we, we invest in that, that time and that day. If we're going to be effective with the, with the mission of carrying out the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, 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 it's got to be much more than that. Well, that's, that's the ultimate goal of these conversations, in all honesty, is how can we be collaborative? And that's so. Again, you you just hit you hit a word that I've been thinking about this whole time, um, because I, I I view I would I would say I view myself. Yeah, I've got this title of lead pastor, but gosh, how how can we how can we start to think and reframe the idea of of pastors being more driven by uh, and I and used for their gifts and talents in a collaborative team way and and making that much more um the norm i i you know i i i'm telling you the I, I think part of the problem that we've we've had is um and and especially in a lot of our churches and being uh you know i i recognize many of our Nazarene churches, you know, not just talking our district, but probably again around our, our, the whole nation, our country and, and beyond are, are they're, they're small churches. Um, and, and we go and we charge a, a, a past someone to go and to be a, a lead pastor, senior pastor. And, and their expectation is to be able to, um, is, is way beyond their giftings and their talents and their personalities and and all their who they are but we expect them to be able to do everything mm -hmm. and and that doesn't work to understand what does work we have to first confront what doesn't as pastor mike already articulated putting one pastor in to fill the needs of every person, to meet every expectation, and do every single thing expected to perfection is unrealistic. Having a scorecard on the back wall of the foyer, naming how many attended and what the tithes brought in were, won't bring new people into your sanctuary. Having the best worship band, the nicest stage, and the most expensive lighting may attract a crowd, but what ultimately is happening? Are church attenders being discipled or simply entertained? To reimagine what could be, we have to take a hard look at what is 
and what once was. This is our goal on this podcast, to have frank conversations about the state of the church, past, present, and future. Join us on our next episode as we hear part two of our conversation with Pastor Mike. And if you'd be so kind, please rate, review, and subscribe so others might discover this podcast as well. I've been your host, Josiah. This has been the Girl of Pastors podcast. Join us on the next episode.